1 Samuel chapter 23. We are working our way through the life of David and uh, learning so much because David uniquely has more written on him than anybody else in the Bible, which is pretty astounding. He was a man uh, that had quite a checkered life. It wasn't some perfect, pure life like we see with Joseph or Daniel. And then on top of that, uh, the Lord said uniquely, he's a man after my own heart who does all my will. And I, Jesus, my throne in eternity, in heaven forever and ever, it's going to be David's throne. And I'm going to sit on it. But it's of the kingdom of David that I will rule from this time forth and forever. So, wow, what an astounding thought. And so there's something here that touches the heart of God so deeply. And so we saw last week where David and his men went and saved the city of Kaliah. And the Philistines were attacking them and, and they had great victory. But right after that, Saul was going to come and trap David in that city. And so David goes to prayer. He calls the priest and brings his ephod. We talked about that in the pocket of the high priest was the Urim and the Thummim, often believed to be two rocks saying yes or no. And David begins to ask some yes or no questions. But the, the point was, is that he, he said, uh, is Saul coming here? Yes. Is the people of Kaliah, even though I just saved them from murder and rape and torture from these Philistines, would they not do the normal thing and support me since I supported them? And he said, they're not. They're going to hand you over to Saul. And then David said, will Saul kill me? He said, absolutely. And so David, with that information... He left, and Saul didn't come to Kaliah, and thus he didn't die. We learned a very powerful principle there. Had David just said, well, yeah, you know, I hear Saul's coming. It won't matter because, you know, humanly, everybody knows if you save their life, they are sort of indebted to do what they can to save yours. So I, I don't need to pray about this. I don't need to think about this. I, I know these people of Kaliah are very thankful. It's, you know, I'm safe here. But he prayed. And God said, this is the future. Saul's coming. They're going to hand you over. You're going to die. That is, I see it. That's the future. But David prayed. And guess what? That possible future didn't happen. Quite the opposite. He left. And so this is an important point to realize the power of, of yes, God knows everything, but we have a free will. And how you put those two things together, I don't know. But I just know that prayer changes things. Your choices make a difference. And that we need to, to understand the, the reality of that. But David prayed and things were different. Had he not prayed, uh, wow. It would have been a very different story. Well, in verse 14, or at the very last verse we looked at was verse 13. And David and his men were about 600 and they arose and departed from Kaliah and went wherever they could. So they're just sort of wondering. It went from 400 men to 600 men, which makes it even harder when you're living off the land. 
And then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Goliath, so he halted his expedition. Now, verse 14. So David stayed in the stronghold in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. So David says, well, I'm going to wander around. I'm going to go down in the area where is the tribe of Judah. That's probably where I'll be safer. That's my tribe. And he goes down there, and he's in the wooded areas, uh, as well as the, the caves and so forth that are there. And it says that Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. This story is beginning to build. And, and, and David is feeling this overwhelming pressure. Saul is chasing him. And I have the responsibility of a few hundred guys. Now I have the responsibility of 600 guys. Later, we're going to see their families and their kids join them at this season. So probably thousands. And there's Saul every day, every day, every day. Oh, man. It's, it's amazing how hard life can be when it's grinding out, right? They often say that people that are on the run from the law will subconsciously get caught because they just can't take the pressure anymore of, of, of just I'm looking at that lady. Oh, she undercover officer. Did she recognize me? Is she going to turn me in? And, and they, they can't get a good night's sleep. They can't walk down the street. They can't sit and, and calm and eat in a restaurant because they're certain, uh, you know, the, the shoe's going to drop and they're going to get caught and they weren't ready for it. So David is feeling this. And there's Saul, his enemy, persistent after him. Our enemy, the devil, constantly, day after day, on our trail, tracking us down. You know, it's interesting that the, the one thing you, you can't say bad about the devil is he's a hard worker, you know? And so are those demons. They work hard every day. Unfortunately, it's attack you. But it's also interesting that Saul didn't have the energy to go save the city of Kaliah from the Philistines but he's got tons of energy to chase down David and, and to try to kill him. Have you, have you noticed that in the humanity that you live in? It's hard to encourage somebody. It's hard to say, oh, I'm going to go do this blessing for these people. I'm going to go buy them and go take them a food and, and encourage them. Oh, I would, but I'm so tired. But then on the other hand, if you're bitter at somebody... You're angry at somebody. You're disappointed in somebody. And you're all tired and somebody says, hey, let's talk about those people. Boom, I got tons of energy. Let's talk. Yeah, not only that, they were wanting to gossip and slander and backbite. And I got all kinds of energy. It's, it's interesting how the, the flesh wanting to gratify itself in this area of hate and, and frustration and bitterness has daily energy for that. Man, it is hard to walk in the spirit. It's easy to walk after the flesh. It's difficult to walk in the spirit, right? The works of the flesh, whew, no energy at all. Walk in the spirit, <laughs> it's, 
it's like, Lord, give me grace just for this next two minutes, and uh, then I'll pray for the next two minutes. Saul had all kinds of energy to just stay on David's trail and hound him, and David is experiencing that exhaustion of just wondering if in the middle of the night, he's going to wake up and there's a spear in his face. He's, gonna, he's wondering if all of a sudden uh, he's sitting there eating lunch with his friends and all of a sudden arrows start flying. It's this constant pressure that's on him. And in verse 15, and David saw, he knew it, that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Zith in a forest. David was the number one wanted man in Saul's kingdom. They didn't have the 50 most wanted men of Israel. They just had one. David's picture. If you will get this guy for Saul, you will be happy. Saul, the king, will reward you amply if you help me take him out. And so David is there, and he's probably running thin. He's having to be the leader. And as the leader, you know, everybody looks to you to encourage them. They often don't get the encouragement. And, and often, uh, you know, even if these guys that have been following David for a few months said encouraging things, it wouldn't mean as much because in, in essence, they're sort of not his peers. And uh, he's hanging in there and he's following the Lord. He's seeking the Lord. But he is weak. And notice what happens in verse 16. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods, the wilderness, and he strengthened his hand in God. Do you hear this? Jonathan left the palace. He went all the way out in the middle of nowhere and sought David out. And his whole purpose was I bet David's running on empty. And I, I bet he just needs to be encouraged. You know, I also wonder if Jonathan, as we see him such a man of faith like David, just didn't have the Lord speak to his heart about this. And to say, you know, it's not really safe. I know my dad will hate it. Might kill me for it. But you know what? I, I just really sense that I got to get out there and find David. And here he comes. Notice what he does. It's very distinct. Verse 17, he first said, do not fear. That's it. Number one, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. Number two, don't fear. You shall be king over Israel. Don't fear, because I will be next to you. I'm going to be your loyal friend to the end. And he says the next thing, my father, Saul, he knows that. He knows in his heart that you are the king, not me, not his lineage. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. How do you strengthen somebody in the Lord? How do you do that? You see, Jonathan, he couldn't rescue David. He couldn't come down with a bigger army than his dad's and, 
that would be dishonoring his father as well. And he, I, I think he wasn't going to cross that line, that he needed to honor the king, even though it was Saul and he was wicked and he needed to honor his parents, even though his dad wasn't in the right place. Jonathan could not give David all the answers he needed. It would have been wonderful if he had this prophecy and just could tell him all the things that were going to happen that he wouldn't have to worry anymore. And David, uh, Jonathan couldn't stay with David. He had to leave. That wasn't where the Lord had him to be. So what do we see? He says, David, I'm going to strengthen you in the Lord. I, I, I can't rescue you. I can't give you the answers you seek. I can't stay and be here next to you to be your, com your, your comrade and strengthen you every day. But what can I do right now? I can tell you this, David. Don't fear. I can tell you that. I can encourage you to say, get your eyes on the Lord. David. God is going to watch over you, and, and Saul is not going to catch you. David, David, you remember the bear? <laughs> you went up to that bear, and you grabbed it by its paw, and you killed it. What about the lion? You grabbed it by the beard, and you killed the lion. And then when you saw that giant, Goliath, your heart was given that gift of faith to go at that guy and take him down. Do you, do you think that God is doing these great works in you, David, to just let you get miserably shot with an arrow out in the middle of nowhere? No, God's got a plan. And you know the prophecy of Samuel. Remember you were out there and, and they said, come, dad wants to see you. And you came in and there was the whole city, your brothers and your dads that wouldn't even look at you are all waiting for you. And there's this big feast. And Samuel anointed you and, and proclaimed that you would be the king over Israel and a great king you would be. God has been with you as a child and he's given you faith and courage and, and those lions didn't cause you to worry. Those bears didn't fret you. Everybody in the entire country was afraid of Goliath, but you weren't. So David, you're a man who walks by faith. You're a man who trusts in the Lord. You're a man who, who, who says, you know what? I'm not going to worry about these things because I know the Lord is with me, and he is. You don't have to fear, David, because God has promised that you would be the king over Israel forever. God has said it. God has already spoken. It. It's as good as done. You're not going to be in this wilderness forever, although it may be a long time. My dad's not going to be victorious because God has already prophesied you are going to be the next king. And David, I'm your friend. Hey, what else do you got? I'm your buddy. And my hopes is one day when you're king, even though dad's pushing me forward to be the king of, from the house of Benjamin, no, it's not going to happen. It's not in my heart. I just want to be there 
when you're the king. And I just want to be your assistant, your, your armor bearer, standing over in the shadows, just rejoicing what great things God has done. Jonathan would not see that, realize his dad would go into a battle that the Lord didn't command. And not only would Jonathan, but all of Saul's sons would die in that battle. The key thing is, is Jonathan didn't come down and say, okay, how can I, Jonathan, strengthen David? He knew that there weren't resources in him. Often I get asked that question, you know, what do I go and say to my whatever, brother, sister, mom, dad, who just found out they're terminally ill? What do I say to those people who just lost that child? What do I you know what, you, you, you sense it, that you as a human, the best things humanly you could come up with aren't going to do much. It's just going to be sort of white noise, you know. And so that's where you go to the Lord and say, God, what is it that you have to speak to them? Lord, use me as an ambassador on your behalf. And then you go and you say, look, get your eyes on the Lord. Look at this promise of God. God has this for your life. I, was, I remember when you got born again. I remember when you started growing in the Lord. I remember God arranging things in your life in this situation and that situation. And, and remember how horrible that was and how God turned it around for good. I don't know if we're going to live long enough in this earth to see God turn this one around for good, but I know he is. I know there's no coincidences in his kingdom. He knows you to every hair upon your head. God is not weak. God is strong, and he's got all things in his hand. And by the promise of God, by the word of the Lord, by the vision that God has given them of where they want to be, to, to say, yes, God is going to do this be strong, have faith. Well, then in verse 19, the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, is David not hiding with you in the strongholds in the woods in the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now, therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, blessed are you of the Lord for you have compassion on me. Ah, when I hear Saul saying that, I just cringe because he knows God has ripped the kingdom from him. Samuel the prophet looked at him and said, you're rebellious, you're stubborn, and it's like idolatry and witchcraft to God. He's ripped the kingdom from you. He, he, he knew but yet he still got this outward religious shell that's just gross to those who really are the genuine articles of praisers of the Lord. He's praising the Lord, but it's out of a wicked heart. It's gross. And then he looks around at the guys and he says, you Ziphites are finally, somebody's having compassion on poor old me. These guys that just want lands and power and, you know, but you guys are just coming because, you know, finally somebody in this country cares about poor little old Saul. 
And then he says in verse 22 to 24, so please go, find out for sure. See the place where his hideout is and who has seen him, for I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. I will be with you. If he is in the land, I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness Maon in the plain south of Jeshmon. These Ziphites, who were they? They were David's relatives. We know back in 1 Chronicles chapter 2 and 4 that not only were they of the tribe of Judah, the same as David, but they were actually the great-great-grandsons of the greatest Caleb. Do you remember the story of Moses and how all the children of Israel didn't believe God? And the 12 spies went to go into the land and they came back with this great report of, man, the the land is awesome and look at all this food, but God's, God's undermined us because they're giants in the land and they're going to eat us up. And two men said the opposite and they made those men so mad and made the whole nation so mad, they almost killed them. And that was Joshua and Caleb. And God said, this whole nation is going to die in the wilderness and not go into the promised land except for two men. Joshua and Caleb will make it. Not even Moses made it. I love that Judges 1 where they're fighting the battles and winning them and then finally Caleb says, hey Josh, I know you're in charge here, but I've got a promise from Moses that wherever the biggest giants, the hardest battles are gonna be, I get that battle. Don't look at me, I'm an 80 year old man, but let me tell you what, I am as strong a warrior as when I was 40. Just get out of my way, give me that land, I'm taking out those giants. And indeed he did. But now we see his lineage, not standing for the things of God, but yet they're trying to undermine it, trying to curry favor with Saul on a temporary basis. Why he's in power, try to get some favor and whatever that might come their direction. But in reality, they were not having the heart of God, but they were an enemy of the things of God and, and, and King David. David in Psalm 54 writes about this. This was a contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? So David thinking about this and this hurtful situation, this rather discouraging moment, he writes this psalm, save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers will have risen up against me. Oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. They didn't. The Ziphites definitely didn't do that. Selah. Pause. Verse 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the, those who uphold my life. He will pay my enemies. And then he ends in verse 7, skipping down to say, for he has delivered me out of all trouble. 
David, looking back at that psalm, remembering God has. He was strengthened, wasn't he? Do we see this psalm? We discovered that David here was strengthened by Jonathan. His faith was strengthened. His eyes were set back on the Lord. And we see this beautiful psalm, not of a weary soldier, but we see this of a man in a very hard place, but very strong in his faith. David had to learn, like all of us have to learn, that God is allowing or bringing trials of all different types to make us the people we need to be in faith and in character. It's hard every time, but it's supposed to be hard every time because that's where the growth comes from. And uh, we find this teaching just so expounded on the New Testament. It would take hours to give you all the verses on this point. But man, it's one of the main teachings in the New Testament is that God is allowing all the difficulties that earth can throw at you and even worse than non-believers at times because their trials are not causing their, great, their faith to grow and not causing them to grow in character, maybe causing them to grow in experience and they're a little shrewder, a little wiser. But everything that God allows to come our way, it's for a purpose. And there is not one little piece of sand that God would lay upon you that wasn't absolutely necessary. That's, that's faith, isn't it? To say, I know that God's going to turn everything around for good. He is. We've seen it before, but it doesn't seem to matter if we've seen it a million times, does it? This trial challenges our faith. This is a very profound statement that I made up myself. Trials are trials because they're trying. You know what I mean? There's things now, as you get older, that happen in your life, and others are looking on you going, man, that must be a trial. It's like, no, no big deal at all. Such is life. We, it, it doesn't affect us like it used to, does it? There was a decade or two in my life, through my teens and 20s, I was very poor, and we couldn't really afford good tires. We were always getting flat tires. And I remember as a teenager, I remember those first couple of times, you know, you're on the freeway, cell phones weren't even thought of, faxes weren't even thought of, copy machines weren't even thought of, I'm old. And, uh, but uh, you're pretty much on your own. And I remember being like 15 years old and uh, my dad had left, it was just me and my mom, 115 degrees in Bakersfield and you're out in the middle of nowhere and you got a flat, and I'm just like, just freaking out. But I finally get the jack and figure it out and get the nuts off, and, and there we go driving down the road just going, oh, my goodness. That was just like trauma, PTSD. We didn't know about that either. <laughs> but then it happened so many times, it's sort of like, okay, time me, here we go. No big deal. 
My friends are here, man, I saw you. Man, that must have been horrible. It's like, nah, no, 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 I'm breaking my good time now. I... Guess what? It wasn't a test anymore. It wasn't a trial anymore. And so God's going to keep doing that. And so David, <clears throat> just imagine if he didn't have that focus of the strength of the Lord. I go down and risk my life for Kaliah. And two days later, they're going to sell me over to Saul. Why even bother to help people? And then I go to my relatives, my own cousins. And they're, they're scurrying off, betraying me, telling Saul exactly where to go to try to kill me. I hate family. Then I got this guy, Saul. I've never wronged him. I've done everything for him. He's my dad. I'm married to his daughter. And, and he's throwing spears at me and chasing me down. And I'm exhausted. And, and I'm out in the middle of nowhere. And I can't be with my family. And, and there's no food. And, and there's hardly any water. And, and you, know, you know what? I just discovered I hate people. That, that's not what happened with David, was it? He didn't become king and say, first on the list, I'm going to go wipe out the city of Kaliah. Second on my list, I'm going to take out my cousins. And I'm going to kill anything that Saul loved. No matter what it is, I'll burn it. That, that wasn't him, was it? Quite the opposite. Romans 12, I'm going to read a few passages, not even a fraction of how many are in the New Testament. But in verse 17, it says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, sometimes men won't allow it. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get so-and-so to forgive them. I'm trying to get so-and-so not to be so bitter. You can't, can you? All you can do is you. That's all you can do. So disappointment, anger, and frustration about Kaliah. I lost, I lost 30 of my best men for that, and they're going to hand me over to Saul. But you know what? You know what? The, these guys were afraid of the Philistines. And they would definitely be afraid of Saul. He just wiped out a whole city of Nob, the priest, who thought they, Saul thought they had supported me. So yeah, I, I can understand why they're afraid. It's okay. It's okay. But don't ever ask me to help you again. You think David would have went to help him again as king? He would have. Well, those cousins of mine, they're a bunch of greedy punks. You know, they've had a hard time. This has been, those Ziphites, they live out in the wilderness, in the woods, and they, they've never really gotten ahead and prospered like some of the other part of the tribe of Judah. And they saw this opportunity to win the lottery with Saul. You know, it, it's not the right thing, but hey, that's on them. As for me, I'm going to love my enemy and pray for him, bless him, and do good to him, right? As far as upon David, we're going to discover later David as king says, is there anybody left of the tribe of Saul? And they go and they find a guy and they say, 
everybody's gone except for one guy who's this crippled dude. He's living out in the middle of Lodabar, which means a place of nothingness. And David says, go get him because he's going to sit at my table as my son and I'm going to restore all the lands of Saul back to him. That was David. As for him, he was going to be at peace. I, 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 can't, I can't explain to you how disappointing or hurtful that is, but I've got to just get my eyes on Jesus and walked as he walked. I've, I've thought of those movies. You know how you make movies about the Bible stories and stuff? I, I thought of a great scene in there. And that's where all the people are shouting at Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, right? And I thought of this great scene where the camera would go through the audience and there was that man screaming, crucify him, crucify. That was a leper that Jesus cleansed. And then he pans over to this woman of Nain who Jesus raised her son from the dead and they're both shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And then he pans over and there's all these people that munch down, you know, at, at, in Galilee with the loaves and the fishes and they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And then it showed Jesus, disappointed, hurt, but yet unmoved with his love for man. Still willing. At any point, he could have ended it. He told us that. At any point, he could have said, stop, no more, we're done. But he kept going all the way because of his love for man. Father, forgive him. As for Jesus, <laughs> he died as all that depended on him. As far as him, the Roman, you're forgiven. Thief, you're forgiven. Just forgive them all, Father. They don't understand spiritually really what's going on here. They're blinded by their own sin condition. And, and we just see that. And going on in Romans 12, verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it's written, vengeance of mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him to drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. But you don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you, do you understand? We, we often talk about spiritual attack. And we say, oh, that guy screamed at me or this, whatever. The devil's no dummy. He's going to find the Judas right next to you. <laughs> He's going to work on your marriage and your kids and your parents and your next door neighbor and your best friend. He's going to try to tweak them to tweak you. And when you're already ready, oh, that person, well, that was like David with Kaliah. Oh, that was that person like David with the Ziphites. Yet we all got Saul's in our life hounding us every day, relentlessly pushing me and pushing me and, until I crack, but I'm not going to crack. Because the more they, they push me and stress me, the more I'm going to cry out to God for a greater love and a greater mercy. I'm not going to be overcome by evil. That's the devil would love that. The devil would love for me to be overcome by evil. I'm not gonna, it's not gonna let him happen, but I'm gonna walk as Jesus walked and overcome evil with good. James says in James chapter one, verse two, my brethren, 
What? Don't complain and kick the dust and say, why always me, God, when you fall into various trials? It's not what it says, does it? It says, count it joy. In other words, understand what's really going on here. This is not just once and then it's over. There's all kinds of various trials. And we know, we don't see it or feel it. Sometimes we won't live it long enough to, under, to see the, the full circle. But yet all of it was necessary. Yes, it's gonna test our faith, but that faith, that testing of our faith is gonna produce this patience, this endurance. That endurance is gonna bring a perfect work about in us until, listen to this, God, how far is God gonna keep doing this refining thing through trials? May not happen before we die, but he's, he's got a schedule right up to the day you die to make you perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That's his plan. It's not to make you a bunch of Archie Bunkers, 10% less Archie Bunkerist, right? It's to take you a bunch of Archie Bunkers and, and make you like Jesus. That's his plan. Peter says it this way. Him and James, the half-brother of the Lord, uh, were on the same page. All these apostles seem to understand it. In this you, what? Rejoice? No, he says, you greatly rejoice. That's the, that's the term there. Boy, these guys had been through it, huh? I mean, I think they were a little taken back when it all started happening, being threatened. Then the first time they were beaten, remember that in the beginning of Acts? They went back and told everybody, look at this, I, I got a black eye and my arm, it's, I think it might be broken. And, and they looked at each other and they started laughing and going, thank you, Lord, that we were counted worthy to suffer for your name's sake. They really did greatly rejoice. He, he wasn't just saying, do it. Peter and those apostles really did do it. And, and Peter was there in prison and only been a few months after Christ died, maybe six, eight months. And they get arrested for preaching Christ and, and they grab James and take him out. And the next thing Peter hears is that James' head was cut off. It's like, What? The Lord spent three years discipling that guy for only six months of ministry? What's going on here? God, I don't... Hey, you're next, Peter. And Peter's like, count it all joy. I, I don't know. You know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I, 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 don't, I can't understand what's going on here. Remember, Paul and Silas were down in that prison and they after being beaten with rods and chained down in the dungeon, just started praising the Lord and singing psalms of hymns. So he's saying, guys, th this is not an idea. This isn't a good idea that you can do some of the time. He's saying, let these trials have their perfect work. Don't fight it. This is from God. He's allowing this or bringing this into your life. So he says there, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. He's sort of nonchalant about it. It's like, Peter's like, you know, this is sort of Christianity 101. Thought you guys were not asleep during that lesson, but okay, here's what we do. 
When those trials come, we just say, hey, awesome. The Lord's perfecting my character, making me perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And thank you, Lord. This is great. And, uh, you know, so you guys got these little various trials here and there and there, you know. It just, you know what? It's okay. Because in verse 7, he says, the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it tested by fire, may be found to the praise and the honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus. God is doing this for your great reward in heaven and your great godly character now. And Peter goes on in 1 Peter 4, verse 12 and 13, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. And this is what often people do weak in faith. They're like, where's God? I don't understand why he's allowing this. I'm so mad at him. I don't, I don't get it. Because, you know, what I understand about Christianity, God would be there and, and deliver me, and this wouldn't go on. He's saying, no, everything that man experiences in life you're going to experience. It's all going to be thrown at you. Sicknesses, diseases, the, the struggle of a sinful world, and you coming up on the wrong side of that, that it's going to happen. But what's going to happen to those in the world is they're going to, they're going to maybe grow in experience, but they don't grow in character. They don't grow in faith. They, they may get a little shrewder and wiser in understanding of the world's ways, but you are going to grow in faith. You're going to grow in character. And, and, and as you allow these things to take their full course, don't complain and fight about it. Let God finish that good work. You're going you're gonna to see the end result is going to be more imaginable than you can hope for the praise and the honor and glory when Jesus comes. Well, he says again in 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's suffering that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. So on that day, when you see the end of what God produces in you, especially in heaven, you are gonna rejoice. So by faith, do it now. And he goes on, but finishing up here this morning, in First. Samuel 23, verse 25 to 29. Saul hears now that where David is at, down in the wilderness of Maon, and, and David starts to flee, and he's going around this one mountain fleeing from Saul, and he comes around, and he realizes, oh my goodness, there's Saul's army. So his guys turn around to go back the other direction, and he realizes Saul really did it right. They got us trapped in, and there is nowhere to go. There's no way of victory. Saul has trapped us in, and, and we are in serious trouble. Why David's hiding, and Saul hasn't quite realized it yet. Notice in verse 27, a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry, come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. So Saul is there, his two armies are coming together. David's hiding out in some bushes or around in a cave or whatever. And, and they're going, man, once we're found out, we're dead. And David's watching as this messenger rides up to Saul. And then Saul says, guys, wrap it up. Forget the pursuit of David, we've got to go. And David is observing this. And then he remembers 
what Jonathan had told him. My father shall not find you. And he knows that you're to be the next king. So David's strength and heart comes out and he says, this place from now on shall be called the rock of escape. And David went from there and dwelt in the stronghold of Engedi down to the Dead Sea, the lowest place on planet earth. But finishing up here, Psalm 27, verse one, David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In verse three, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this, I am confident. Do you think David grew in this trial? Do you think David is strengthened in his faith in these areas? In verse five, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me, and he shall set me high upon what? The rock, the rock of escape. Well, down in verse 10, <clears throat> when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. I, I've seen it. My relatives, they, they let me down a lot, and it's, it's okay, because the Lord doesn't let me down. Teach me your way, he says in verse 11. Oh, Lord, lead me in the smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Here's the final conclusion. Wait on the Lord. Be in prayer. Have a heart of saying, God, I know you're in this. I rejoice in this trial, and I trust that you have it all in your hands. And then he says, be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And I think that's the word, is be encouraged. Let this message to today be like a Jonathan coming to talk to you. After first service, I, I was amazed. People came and shared a little bit of their story of what they've been going through, what they're going to be going through, and how perfectly this passage fit them. They literally came in today with so much fear. They came in so upset at so many different people that it was just spinning them down into a very dark place. And today their eyes have been fixed on the Lord and they're, they're realizing we just need to pray and wait and seek the Lord, be in the word, trust in his promises. And God is not adding one bit of difficulty to my life that he doesn't plan on using for his glory. And I'm okay with that because I'm here to grow. I'm here to be a greater servant, a greater light, more fruitful. So Lord, whatever you need to do, lay it on me. Whatever hardship, whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever trials, let it come, Lord. Just give me your grace and your strength. And, and, and Lord, I, I, I want it. The most important thing to me is the sooner the better, I can become perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, so I could be the perfect light and the perfect salt. You know, over here on each side of the stage, the leaders and myself have put together uh, 
on there, sort of decorated it up a little bit. But over there we have oil. You know, the Bible says in James, if any are sick, let him come to the leaders. So there they are. It's so clear in the Bible to do this, right? If you're physically sick or emotionally or struggling, let them anoint you with oil and pray for you. And then also we have up here Bibles. If you have come to Christ today, want to get you a good new believer's Bible to get started in. And then also communion. If you just want to come and just sit there before service or after service and receive of communion and just meet the Lord at his table. Well, Lord, we come before you now and thank you, Jesus, so much for what you're doing in us and in the church and the fellowship here. And we ask now that you would do a deeper work of grace in us. Lord, we come wounded today, but we come. We come struggling and seeking, but yet you said that we would find you. So Lord, we come. There's so many people today that need a strengthening in their heart. Their hand needs to be strengthened in you today. Lord, send out your word now as they meditate on these things and don't let it return void, but to accomplish all that you had wanted it to do. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Let's all stand together and we'll close with this song.